Welcome again to the Heads Up Podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking with Duncan Casey, the former Munster player who plied his trade with the province until 2018. He then enjoyed a short stint in France with Grenoble and retired from the game in 2019. In this episode, we discuss his career and his thoughts around concussion and concussion management. Duncan, great to have you on board, man. Thanks for having me, Ed. Good to talk to you again. Just a quick one, just to get chatting, Duncan. Could, would you mind just maybe having a walk through your career in terms of where you started, uh, what level you played at, and then I guess the eventual reasons for your retirement out of the game? Basically, I suppose I started my first uh, my first um, involvement with what ultimately became professional rugby would have been the sub academy in Munster so I uh, would have played underage rugby at schools level with Munster and then into under 20s and uh, after a brief stint away from Munster I came down to kind of give rugby a go at the start of 2010 and uh, got in uh, on like a three week trial with the sub academy basically while playing with the Shannon under 20s and spent a year and a half in the sub academy which point I progressed to uh, an academy contract spent two years there and then moved on to a development contract which was my first uh, senior professional contract at the age of 23 so that would have been in July 2013 so I spent three and a half years in the sub-academy system but had I had I kind of got into the sub-academy straight out of school it would have been a four-year cycle really so that's what would have happened with most of the front rows back then it's kind of a shorter time period that people spend in the sub-academy or in the the academy system now but before it used to be for most front rows two years sub-academy two years academy and then hopefully progressing to a development contract so um yeah i signed the development contract and um had another two contracts signed with monster so i ended up spending four and a half years at monster altogether or moving to france in january 2018 so i made my debut uh shortly after my sorry it was, i was actually still 22 when i signed the development contract but i made my debut shortly after my 23rd birthday in december 2013 and then i played a lot of rugby over the following two years and uh i played 40 40 games in 23 months and uh, was lucky enough to do quite well in that period. Um, started a lot of games and I was fortunate enough to benefit from injuries to guys in front of me. Then got my first kind of major injury mid-season on my 25th birthday in November 2015. And I missed most of the rest of that season. Came back and uh, early the following season, ruptured my medial limerick, or medial ligament uh, in October 2016. And that was the last game I played for Munster. So while I was on contract until June 2018, I suppose, I ended up leaving in January 2018 because I hadn't played any rugby in 15 months and the opportunity came to go and play in France so I initially went over on a short term contract for the rest of that season it went quite well managed to play a lot of rugby and the club got promoted from the second division to the first uh, division to the top 14 and I was offered a one year extension which I took and to be honest at the start of that season the plan was just to give it one more year and then finish up as I mentioned I had had a couple of serious injuries but there were a lot more than the two that I just mentioned so 
I was fortunate with the timing for the earlier one, so I would have had to have both my shoulders done. But I managed to get the bulk of that work done in the off-season, so I didn't miss a whole pot of rugby. But ultimately, uh, I ended up dislocating my hip the last game of the season in France, but I had decided to retire already at that point. But say, at that moment when I retired, I had had seven operations in the previous seven years, so the body had been through a lot. And then on top of that, I would have had a lot of small niggles as well. So I think it was just a good time to call it a day because my, my body was telling me that it had had enough and yeah it's kind of as you know yourself Ed, it's, it's less enjoyable when you're trying to give something your your full effort but your body isn't letting you to so uh, that was ultimately the main reason behind it yeah, it it's uh, you're right it's it, it's a struggle when dragging yourself around the place and you, you don't feel you don't feel able from your point of view playing in Ireland playing in France you know the reputation of the French game would be very attritional very you know very much more, you know, perceived as maybe harder and tougher, and you know, than um, than, than the Irish setup. What's what's your opinion on that? I wouldn't agree with that. Really, I think the men are bigger, uh, without a doubt. Like the French, like picking big lads, and if they have the chance, they'll pick the bigger lad every time. But the game is a lot slower as a result, so it, it is it is much more attritional. But the it's not necessarily more intense because the pace is far slower. The level of conditioning isn't as high, and uh, I, I would imagine like the general skill set wouldn't be quite as high as it would be in uh, the British league, or, or sorry, the English league, or, or the uh, the Pro Fourteen then as well. It's uh, it's kind of a bit of a misconception. Like the men are huge, and you definitely like the average size of a guy, particularly a forward, is a lot bigger than it would be in an Irish province, for example. But athletically, guys are in far better condition in in Ireland than they would have been in France. So, um, so I, I would have found I would have found the pace of games a lot tougher playing um, playing in Pro 14 uh, on average than in Top 14. So it, it's interesting in that sense. Like people have have a perception that it's just a kind of a tougher game, but in reality, it's just bigger men, but, but playing rugby at a slower pace. Really, I get you. From your own point of view, how's your body now? You said you. Seven procedures over the course of a number of years. I mean, how are you now? Any kind of long-term effects from a career in professional rugby? Uh, at the moment, thankfully, nothing major. Um, as I said, I had my hip done last summer, and that still isn't fully right. But that's because I haven't, I haven't probably given it uh, the attention that I should have. Um, and I think the like I would still get a bit of pain with that, a bit of clicking. But I think that's mainly down to the fact that my my glutes, um, my glutes, and my quads are still a bit weak. Mobility-wise, it's fine. It just gets a bit cranky, say, if I, um, after a run, maybe the next day, or, or if I if, if I do a lot of walking in a day, it might get a bit cranky in the evening, but it's but it's fine. It's manageable. Um, I am a little bit worried about how that might play out in the next couple of years, so I have I have kind of attacked the rehab more in the last couple of weeks, and that is feeling a bit better, but I, I will be a little bit apprehensive about that. Um, aside from that, there isn't a huge amount... Um, Probably the main one would be my, I, I had some issues with my basically facet joint deterioration in my L4, L5 while I was playing and I had to get that uh, injected a couple of times um, to clear it up and thankfully that hasn't given me any trouble since probably 2015 I'd say, early 2015. I, I would be a little bit worried about that as well because I, I, like, I like to train, I like to lift weights and I just would be a small bit apprehensive about the impact that that might have on me down the line. But uh, at this moment in time, Ed, there isn't a, a whole pile really. Um, uh, I, as I was saying to you before we started recording, I started running mm. recently, which is something that I'd never done before. And I hadn't actually run up until maybe six weeks ago 
since I had the, the hip done last June so I was a bit worried about that but thankfully it's uh, taken to it quite well and I'm not having any major difficulties with that so uh, touch wood for now everything's in decent condition but it's more uh, a, a bit of fear about what might come maybe five or ten years down the line. Yeah that's that's understandable uh, but at least you're aware and I think you're you're probably attacking it in the right way in terms of looking at rehab and you know trying to make the body stronger and you know build it up as opposed to waiting for something to happen to you so you're, you're probably on the right track in terms of managing that from your own point of view maybe just a quick summary about the pros and cons about being involved in a in professional rugby you know if there's a few kind of key points you could put in a nutshell what would you say yeah there definitely are pros and cons i think people assume that professional rugby is brilliant and i think the, the average person that doesn't have any exposure to it can appreciate that it's hard work but I think it's probably glamorised to an extent that um, doesn't reflect the reality of the situation so obviously the pros are the fact that you're making a living from playing a professional sport and and more specifically doing something that you love and uh, something that like most of us have probably dreamed about in some capacity or one capacity or another from a very young age so it is like definitely a chance to fulfill a dream that you would have had so that's kind of an unmatchable pro that you probably don't get in many other jobs so I'm under no illusion of how lucky we are to have done it um, and it is terrific to represent your your home club in particular like most of us in Munster have had the chance to, to do most of us came through the underage system the academy system um, so that's all terrific and, and um, there's a lot of pride in doing that and pride, pride in your family as well for you but yeah like the, the cons are obviously uh, acutely felt when you've had a bad run of luck so I, I would often describe it as when things are going your way in professional sport it's the best job in the world there, there are virtually no drawbacks because even the negative things and the sacrifices that you make you like you don't even notice them because you're playing an integral role in what the team is doing you're 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 getting the chance to be a part of huge occasions and you know be a part of something really special but unfortunately when the luck starts to dry up it becomes a very different experience so like, like I said like everything went really well for me for the first two years pretty much after I made my debut and then I had two bad injuries back to back and that was virtually the end of my career in Munster uh, at the end of any ambition that I would have had to go on and play for Ireland for example or become like a mainstay of the starting 15 in Munster for a long period of time like yeah when when you're outside of that circle it definitely becomes a totally different experience so obviously the rehab itself is a bit of a grind but look it's professional rugby everyone's going to have to do that at one point or another but the difficulty is when you have to do it uh, multiple times in a row um, it is very isolating in that respect and you do feel very detached from uh, the experience that you would have had before when you were, you know, you were just one of the lads and you were playing every weekend and you were playing an important role in the success of the side. So adjusting to that can be very difficult and a lot of guys have to do that. And uh, it is very it is very cutthroat as well, you know. I mean, uh, like ultimately I, I never had the chance to play my way back in after that second injury and despite the fact that I would have thought I had given quite a good account of myself before that but that's professional sport and the credit that you have in the bank only lasts uh, for a very short period of time and it's very much a case of out of sight out of mind so um it can be quite can be quite deflating for for your ego i suppose and and for your your ambition as well uh, at one point you were doing all the right things and you know, people were all about you and then all of a sudden without really doing anything, that that, that was your fault, your surplus to requirements and um, 
that that's the most difficult part. Yeah. It, it can be very difficult mentally motivate yourself to come in and do something that uh, do something that's totally at odds with what you would have been doing previously. So like going in and just being the guy that is running the opposition plays and playing for your club at the weekend is a very different experience to like you know being announced as the starting hooker in the European Cup game and doing the preparation that week for a massive occasion in a sold-out Thomond Park, for mm-hmm. example. So when you fall back down the ladder, it's that's probably the biggest con for me. It's uh, it's very difficult. Um, so that's from a mental point of view. And then obviously physically, I mean, all of us know the risks of, of getting involved in, a, in, a, in, a, in an elite level of a contact sport like rugby, or particularly a professional level. I mean, it's no secret that we have more than our fair share of injuries. So I think it's not, it's not a con that people aren't familiar with when you know they're aspiring to be professional athletes but if you have a, a particularly bad run of luck like um like a few of us had and i'm sure like a few of the other lads you've spoken to have had yeah you kind of start to wonder about the long-term effects for your body so as i said thankfully there's nothing major wrong with me currently but i i had seven operations um you know seven kind of invasive procedures in seven years so there's always the risk that one of my joints that has had uh, attention given to it will will start to give me trouble down the line so um that's obviously a thing as well like i know speaking to other guys who've retired that you know they've they've struggled to be their shoulders have been so bad that they've struggled to to pick up their kids that kind of thing and mm. thankfully i'm nowhere near being in that category but it is a real risk um, that you probably don't like, you don't appreciate the reality of until you have a few of those injuries yourself. Yeah. Even though everyone knows how physical a game it is, so they'd be the two main ones for me. Ed, from that point of view, carrying on, like, did you were you ever concussed, diagnosed or undiagnosed uh, when you were playing for either club? Yes, I would have been. I would have had kind of a f- official concussion, say twice at Munster only. I think. Mm. I think once once at Grenoble, and uh, I think I probably I probably would have had a couple of undiagnosed ones that I would have hidden at w- at one point or another there, but like not ones that I would have had uh, side effects for a couple of, or a couple of days afterwards with. So they would have been quite mild in the greater scheme of things, but I probably would have hidden them. But I think officially I was only diagnosed with two concussions in my whole time at Munster, and they would have been quite far apart from one another. Okay, can you remember what kind of symptoms that you were? experiencing you know with the the two with monster and the the one you mentioned in uh, grenoble as well what, how did it manifest with you you know was it short term long term what, what kind of things did you experience they were all short term thankfully um i was never i've never been knocked out i've never been knocked out fully say and i've never i've never had really sustained side effects for a long period of time the two at monster um one was in a match and one was in training, mm. and uh, the one of the game was was I clashed I clashed heads with um, with a teammate when we both went to tackle someone. It was I, I got badly split in my cheek, and it, like it was just it was just that kind of ringing initially. Uh, went off to get stitches and didn't feel right, so I didn't go back on. The one after that, which was in training, that was just in a mall. It was um, John Klein's big big stupid South African head. Uh, <laughs> Uh, clobbered me um, when we were when we were on opposite sides of a mall and uh, top of my head was split again didn't feel too bad initially but then just started to feel a bit ropey when I was getting bandaged up so stepped out but again I, I would have been fine in a, in a day or two after that it was nothing really like just maybe a little bit groggy for the rest of that day um, and a little bit of a headache the next day due to the impact probably the worst one would have been in Grenoble um, again I wasn't fully knocked out but it was uh, my head got caught in the wrong side wrong side of a tackle 
I was tackling quite high as well, so I think it was it was either an elbow or mm. or the guy's head that I hit, and it just got me in um, got me above the eye, and I got split quite badly. So I would have um, hit the deck fairly lively, and that was probably the worst that I've been. I would have kind of struggled to get up after that. Needed to be helped off a little bit. Yeah, I was feeling ropey for maybe two or three days after that. Just headache, sensitivity to light. Mm. But again, I was fine. I was fine quite quickly after that. Um, so thankfully, I've never had. I've never had like really bad headaches or like really bad sensitivity to light for a long period of time to the point where I would have had to just like, you know, shut myself away in my room for, 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 you know, a, a day or two days or whatever that might be. So I was lucky in that sense. Okay. From the ones that were diagnosed and then you spoke about a couple that were maybe hidden, like, did you feel a responsibility to stay involved in the game, even though you may have been symptomatic? I didn't know. Um, I can say that with my hand on my heart. Like one, one of one of them was playing for Shannon, and the other one was for Monster A. The one against Shannon was I probably didn't I probably didn't realize I was concussed at the time. To be honest, you know, it was one of like it was it was a kind of what do they call it like a bell ringer or something like that. Mm. If you, I, I went to tackle someone and it was just that kind of high, high pitch ringing um, when I got a bang in the head. But, you know, it was only, it only lasted a few seconds really, um, even though I would have kind of been, I would have been stuck to the floor on my hands and knees for a few seconds. I, I got back I got back up and I, I was all right. I think I actually got split that time as well. So went off to get stitches, but, um, you know, I, I maintained I was fine. Okay. Even though I probably wasn't fully fully fine, yeah. <laughs> did you get me? I do. And then, I um, do. The, yeah. <laughs> and then the second one was uh, it, it was actually it, it was my last. I think my second last game from Monterey before I moved to France. So I knew this. I knew this match. Or sorry, I knew this move to France was in the pipeline, and I had just come off the bench, and um, I, I think it was literally my first involvement. And I, I like I watched that video afterwards. I don't know what way I was going into the tackle, like, but. Uh, I uh, yeah I, I I was I was concussed really like yeah I, I panned out and you know struggled to get my feet for a few seconds but in my head I was like I love like I'm not uh, I, I'm not going off here this could be my last game mm-hmm. so it was stubbornness in that sense now I felt fine then within a couple of minutes again but it just I know now in hindsight that the responsible thing to do would have been to go off for a HIA at least mm-hmm. and uh, and determine after a few minutes rest whether I was okay to play on but as I said I was grand once I um, uh, once I got back into things so it, it, it left my mind fairly quickly like I, I didn't pay much attention to it From, from your own point of view Dunk, um, do you think if you have one concussion do you think you're more prone to getting concussed in following training sessions or following matches in your career? It seems to be a trend. Um, from my own personal experience, I suppose, that second one that I got with Munster and the the one that the bad one that I got in Grenoble, they would have happened within about they probably happened within within ten weeks of one another, ten or twelve weeks of one another. So so there was that kind of frequency there. Now saying that they were both kind of bad collisions. They weren't um they weren't the kind of concussion where you'd go you know, you see certain impacts and they look quite harmless and then obviously guys suffer concussion. So I suppose those ones are probably more of a, an indication of a cumulative effect. More as my mum were just kind of both bad collisions, so it was probably bad luck. But um, I know, like, yeah, my own, my own experience of playing with guys tend to be susceptible to concussions or, or less susceptible to them. And, uh, yeah, like, I definitely would have played with a number of guys that seem to just have a tendency to get them. Now, I, I think, the position they play in on the pitch probably plays a certain role in that because guys that are looking to poach more ball are, are likely to get 
their heads in the way of, of knees or shoulders or whatever it is more often. But um, definitely that was something that became clear to me pretty early on in my professional career was that certain guys just had a susceptibility to it that other guys didn't seem to. So it would make sense to me, yeah. Just a, an interesting point you made there about the, the cumulative effect. Or, uh, is, is that cumulative effect of like tackles or hitting rocks or hitting malls or, as you say, just getting your head in the wrong position? I think, yeah, I think it's mainly just getting your head in the wrong position. Um, I suppose tackling as well, like, again, we would have played with certain guys who, who would have been very good defenders, but got their heads caught in the wrong side quite a lot in comparison to other guys. Mm. You know, like the, the kind of most obvious thing, getting your knee, uh, or sorry, get, getting your head the wrong side of a knee or even the wrong side of a chest. And that's like that's obviously that's obviously very dangerous when it comes to um, when it comes to protecting yourself. Uh, you can't do it when when you're attacking with your head in the wrong side. So, I would have seen guys that had a particular tendency to to do that more than others. A lot of the time, those guys would have been the guys more susceptible to concussion as well. So, um, I suppose it's like it's like anything. If your head's getting if your head's getting hit a lot, then I would assume it becomes uh, like it becomes more susceptible to being hurt. Mm as opposed to when it's just an isolated incident every now and again. Have you ever seen anybody, you know, get concussed uh, without a direct blow to the head? You know, so somewhere else in the body or taking an impact. And I think you mentioned it there a while ago. There was a couple of maybe innocuous hits and you weren't sure about people getting concussed. So, again, just your thoughts on not a direct blow to the head, but maybe somewhere else in your body. Chest, like in around the chest, all right. I have seen, yeah, like um, usually, usually guys, guys tackling high with their chest. Uh, I've seen that, like guys get a bad bang in the chest and uh, and have been concussed after that. I haven't seen it often, mm. but I have seen it a couple of times. I've seen clips of it as well. It's like I was, like I remember it was either it was either Rob or Dave Kearney um, was shown in in kind of one of the concussion awareness videos that we would have been shown by either the RFE or Rugby Players Ireland, I can't remember which, but um, basically, like, he, he, yeah, he was involved in the collision, his, his head wasn't anywhere near it, really, but, you know, he hit the deck and he was concussed. Subsequently, um, it was clear. Mm. So, I, I think there, that's not something that I would have ever paid attention to before seeing that clip, probably, but I, I would have seen it a couple of times after that, probably because it was, because it was more, um, because it was in my head, like, and I knew that it was a possibility. Mm. But, um, I haven't seen anything like hugely innocuous in terms of any time I've been on the pitch with or, or against someone. So yeah, it, it, it would just have been a couple of incidents, usually related to tackling and usually impacts to the chest. Yeah, you meant you you spoke about your concussions, um, and it seemed you had fairly short term um, symptoms. Were you aware of anybody that you played with or you know a fellow professional that may have had you know more longer term concussive symptoms? You mentioned you know locking yourself in the, the dark room or anybody that maybe became a bit irrational or had any kind of emotional uh, disturbances or disruptions to their personality, I suppose. Definitely. I've um, I've seen a couple. One, I've seen a couple, one with kind of prolonged headaches for probably two or three weeks. Um, like there was one guy in France who, who probably like ultimately it was a bad concussion, but he, he hit it for pretty much a full week and was, was training and everything else. And ultimately it just got, the symptoms got worse and worse and worse. And then ultimately he had to take a couple of weeks off because it was so, it it had gotten so much worse by him just continuing <laughs> to act as normal and continue to train and everything. And then there was one case in particular that uh, the symptoms lasted for 
for a long time like you're talking a couple of months and the guy was getting the guy was getting headaches like routinely um, and would have said himself that he was probably difficult to be around at home um, I suppose you'd hear less about the the emotional element because guys are just less uh, are, are more reluctant to talk about it unfortunately mm. but um, guys tend to be more forthcoming when it comes to headaches or sensitivity to light or whatever they were the two main ones um, there, there was that one um, where the guy hid the symptoms initially and, and ended up needing a couple of weeks out. And then another one where um, uh, a guy had, had kind of sustained symptoms for a period of a couple of months and that would have involved headaches, but he said kind of irritability as well. But that's the only time I would have known someone personally who would have been kind of um, forthcoming with that. Where do you think we are, in your opinion, about the discussion? Do you think we're gone you know, very far to the right in terms of being overly sensitive about the whole topic are we somewhere kind of around the middle of the road or do you think we've we've a fair bit to go yet around the whole topic i think like genuinely speaking the roadway bodies seem to like have genuinely taken you know they've, they've genuinely taken a lot of measures to make the game as safe as possible when it comes to concussion i think there are definitely improvements that can still be made um but i think like if you look at the the progress in the last five years i think it's it's undeniable that they're they're taking every measure with regard to on-field behavior that uh, can be taken to make it as safe as possible and, and to limit the amount of concussions that guys get stuff like obviously like coming down really hard on tackle height the talk now about reducing the tackle height to the waist you know being coming down really hard on on no arm tackles um like no arm cleanouts at the rock i think that that's all really encouraging and as well i think the messaging is very good like i mean i don't think any player certainly in an irish province can ever claim that they haven't been made fully aware of the dangers of concussion and how important it is that to be proactive when you think you have been concussed mm. and i think the medical staff any medical staff that i worked with in ireland are are always um really on top of it in that respect and there's no dressing down the severity uh, or the potential severity that concussion can have um i think i think what needs to be ironed out is the stuff the, the off stuff so with regard to the hia and with regard to the cooling off period and the return to play protocols so like as it stands like a guy can get knocked out correct me if i'm wrong now Ed, but but i know last time i checked uh, and had a conversation about it a guy can get knocked out on a saturday and if he starts his rtp on a sunday with no symptoms then he can play again the following saturday and i don't think that that's right like i mean i think if a guy has visibly been has visibly lost consciousness or or has come close to losing consciousness i don't see how it's acceptable that he's back on the field seven days later if, if we're being serious about it um like you know i i don't see what the issue would be in, in insisting a guy takes a full five days off before any activity or or is prohibited from playing a week later if the independent doctor at the game determines that he has been, uh, that, you know, that he has been knocked out or come close to losing consciousness. So that's uh, that's a big area of um, that's a big grievance that I would have with the current system. So that's something that needs to be improved, I think. But other than that, like I mean, I think the return to play protocols themselves are very good in the sense that. They progress quite well, and if you have symptoms, you have to go back. And I, 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 you know, I, I think it is quite well monitored then, but it is entirely reliant on the honesty of the players. So I think ultimately, while as I said, the players are fully aware of it, um, players are competitive animals, like, and, and they're mad to play. And particularly as well, when you take in other variables, like a guy coming out of contract or a guy fighting for his position, or you know, a guy pushing on to play for Ireland, I think then it 
like that that affects the like you know the the, the level of responsibility that a, a guy might show in certain circumstances. So I think the message needs to continue to be hammered home to players of just how dangerous concussion can be. While I think most guys are serious about it, I think it's just human nature to be selective about the experience that you're having if something is at stake. Additionally, I know from talking to various people at the, like the HIA. HIA system itself, like it isn't like there's no real there's no real scientific basis for the, the the system that they've chosen. So like you'd be more familiar with the scientific terminology and the ins and outs of it than I would. But I know just from talking to people that there's no there's no kind of evidence to suggest that the current the HIA in its current format actually gives any clarity around whether a concussion has taken place or not. So I would like to see stuff like, like I know, I know that those scrum gaps have been developed that can monitor the impact that guys have. I, I would like to see further like investigation to the merits of that, because I think something like that, that, that takes the subjectivity out of it and makes everything as objective as possible. I think that's the direction that things need to go if it's, if all the unnecessary risk is going to be ironed out. Um, and that comes back to like what I was saying about the player. Like ultimately, if, if it's a doctor's subjective opinion, a player's subjective opinion, a referee's subjective opinion, it, it becomes a lot more difficult to give a clear cut answer because you're operating on the like you're operating off subjective criteria. Whereas I think things that can be made objective, like for example, a guy having to miss a week if he's been knocked out, like and that being take that decision being taken out of everyone's hands, stuff that can measure the impact that guys are experiencing, again, something objective that can, that just takes the decision out of people's hands. I think the more we can move in that direction, the better. But I do think that uh, huge strides have been made, and I would definitely commend the um, the governing bodies for the and the clubs themselves for for the seriousness um, with which they're taking it. I think it's been really good overall. Yeah, there's 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 obviously been a lot of conversation around it, but I think you know just to pick up on a couple of points you were making, it just we just need to hopefully develop you know truly objective measures, you know, um, to to determine when when players are ready to to go back onto the field. You mentioned. Yeah, scrum caps there and so on and so forth. Um, you were obviously mentioning ones that would measure impact and rotation and severity of rotation and stuff. But what's what's your thoughts on just, you know, a scrum caps themselves and gummy shields? Do you think they can mitigate against any impact or, you know, help against knocking people getting knocked out while playing? I'm probably not, not the best guy to ask because I never I never wore a scrum cap I never wore a mouth guard either uh, even even though I should have uh, but I basically my, my nostrils my nostrils are really small and I found with a mouth guard in that I, I it just uh, and I have exercise induced asthma as well so I just found it affected my breathing too much to the point where um I, I couldn't play with it really or I, I could if I played with it it would have a really clear effect on my capacity or the capacity of my lungs so like yeah I mean. My dad, my dad always used to be bagging on to me about wearing a mouth guard because of not not to protect my teeth, in order to protect the spine and and um, to mitigate the effects of concussion. I don't know anything about it, unfortunately, because um, uh, I, I had decided that I wasn't going to wear one, rightly or wrongly. With regard to scrum caps, I think I, I don't think scrum caps themselves can have a can have much of an effect on uh, like injuries that cause concussion. I think. Scrum caps help with with pain of head collisions and obviously with with, with cuts and everything else and and to avoid getting split. But I think in terms of impact, I, I think 
most guys that I would know anyway and that I would have spoken to about it, uh, most guys realise that scrum caps themselves don't, um, or most guys are of the opinion that scrum caps themselves don't actually mitigate the uh, mitigate concussion in, in any way, shape or form. Really, it's more just to do with uh, a personal preference or, or comfort. Just a, a very subjective question to ask you really, but do you think there are any long-term health effects or well-being effects to being concussed multiple times during the course of a playing career? Oh, without a doubt. Um, and, and I think there there have been enough there have been enough kind of examples of that as well. Like I know John Fogarty has been very forthcoming with the difficulties he's had. Uh, you know, like it's undeniable. It's undeniable when um, when you hear people tell their stories like that. I mean, it's just it's just a a scientific fact. I would I would, I would imagine, like any other part of your body. I mean, if you if you get repeated major trauma on your shoulder, your back, your knee, whatever it may be, then like there's a very good chance that you're going to have difficulties down the line with it. Um, like if you're getting repeated trauma on, on your brain, um, on your head, then like it stands to reason that if it happens enough times and if it's severe enough on the on the occasions that it happens, then you're you're going to feel some ill effects of that. I suppose the question is, uh, just like the million dollar question, or the billion dollar question is what the effects are really down the line. Like I mean, I know say a guy like John. Like he's had really clear physical effects of it, like in the, in the form of headaches and and that sensitivity to light, you know, just that susceptibility that we were talking about. Like I know he's, you know, he's spoken of um like a, a whole host of difficulties that he's had. The thing that nobody knows really is say when you get to like sixty or or, or seventy, are you going to get kind of uh, accelerated exposure to to dementia, or Alzheimer's, that kind of thing. Um, so. It's it's a little bit worrying in that sense that there there are no answers. I suppose we're probably another. I mean, when did rugby go professional? And and when did when did it go really professional? You're probably talking the early two thousands, early to mid two thousands before you know guys getting into the condition that they would currently be in. So you're like you're probably talking another. You're talking another twenty years really before we see whether guys who have had repeated exposure to concussion. Um, are now kind of at a higher likelihood of developing these kind of conditions. Yeah, I mean, like to answer your question, I, I don't think, I don't even think it's a subjective answer to give. Like, I mean, mm. I, I think objectively there is definitely the potential for there to be long term effects from from concussion. I, I do at the same time, I do think that people shouldn't be shouldn't, people shouldn't be overly worried about it either. Like, I know, I know, like reading about certain like parents a few years back who who had decided that their kids weren't going to play rugby because of the issue of concussion. And I, and I think that's a pity because I think, generally speaking, rugby is, a, is a quite a safe sport, uh, particularly at, at, at underage level. And I think it's easy to, it's easy to be, you know, scared by what you see on TV. I mean, like if you watch, if you watch test rugby or if that's the only rugby that you watch, like, I mean, you're, you're talking at least one, two guys getting taken off with HIAs in every game, like massive collisions and, like it looks dangerous from that point of view, but I think generally speaking, even those of us that played professional rugby, but not at international level, I think most of us just go through our careers having the odd concussion, which is just an occupational hazard. And I, I think the overall number of guys who, who have multiple concussions and potential to, to feel those long-term effects is, is quite low um, when you look at the playing population as a whole, in my opinion. Um, you spoke... Uh a little while back about uh, tackle height and reducing it, you know, to waist level and whatnot. Do you think there's any other law changes that could possibly be introduced to to mitigate against injury risk and concussion risk? 
The tackling is the big one. It's, a, it's kind of. I think it's more it's more behavior. Um, I think like I, I think the breakdown is an issue, but I know like they seem to be clamping down and say side entry and that kind of thing. And and as I said earlier, uh, the kind of no arm clear outs. But ultimately, like at the breakdown, if you're if you're really good at poaching, the kind of measure of that basically is how how close you can get your head to the ball and how how directly <laughs> how du- how directly in the line of fire you can put your head basically in order to in order to shield the ball. So I don't think there's any way of addressing that really. I mean, you can't like if poaching remains a part of the game, then you can't stop guys getting getting massive shots in the head if if they're in that position. So there are certain things that will just continue to be occupational hazards and people just have to accept. The tackleoid is interesting. I'm I'm really interested to see how it plays out because I know initially when the idea was floated, I, I just didn't think it would work just because because of varying heights and sizes and everyone's own mobility and, uh, and everything else. I think it's going to be very hard, not just to, it's not just going to be a very hard adjustment for bigger guys in particular to make, but it's going to be very hard to police as well because, I mean, at what point does it become a deliberate act and at what point is it a six foot seven guy that is just cannot reach below the waist of a guy my my height, for example. So I, I think it, I think it's going to be messy, but I think it's worth trialing all the same to see if it has any to see if it has any kind of major impact on on safety and on the game itself. Um, I think it's mainly about behaviour, uh, player behaviour. Um, I think that's the main issue. Like, I mean, like guys need to avoid getting their head on the wrong side of a tackle. Like, that's a massive area that is kind of self-inflicted, I suppose, and that's player behavior like there's no there's nothing you could put in the rules really unless unless you want to penalize a guy for having bad tackle technique but you can't really do that can you so i think it's mainly down to player behavior and players protecting themselves but in terms of rule changes i don't see what more they can do off the top of my head anyway to make the game safer with with regard to concussion on the field that that won't have a really kind of major impact on how rugby looks as a sport. I, I think you can make all the rule changes you want, but ultimately, like rugby stops becoming rugby if you remove enough things from it that that we're currently familiar with. So yeah, I, I'd be reluctant to kind of recommend wholesale changes across the board. I think the tackle light one is worth trialing, but I can't think of much else really that they could do uh, regarding the laws of the game. From a club owner's point of view. Do you think that you know they have any responsibility in the long term to retired players, or do you think they should even get involved in that space? I don't think I don't think the owners themselves. I don't think that that situation or that that decision should ever rest with anyone outside of the player and the medical team. I suppose the the issue with if it becomes a decision with the, for an owner, for example, or at an administrative level, it just it opens it up to abuse that. You know, if a guy gets concussed a couple of times and he's costing the club money, but he's not playing, then you know, I, I think it just leaves it open to abuse mm. in the sense that they can go, okay, we need this guy off the books here, so we think it's in your best interest to step down, and we're doing this for your own safety. I, I think it kind of it, it just opens it up to a bit of abuse in that respect. I think definitely, like I think definitely, like the team doctor and and the medical staff in general, because they they know the guy very well, physiotherapists and everything else. I think it should be a collective decision if a guy has a number of concussions in quick succession. Obviously, there there is pretty good practices in place with regard to putting guys on leave for a period of two months or three months, whatever it might be, depending on the severity of it. But I I think if a guy has been shown to be repeatedly susceptible to big trauma in their head, then I think a conversation needs to happen, and I think. It needs to be. It needs to be kind of impressed on them that 
there are longer term repercussions to think about but it, it, it is very difficult because obviously look I mean it's a guy's livelihood so a guy's not going to walk away from it too quickly unless he, he's fully believed that there's no other avenue for him to pursue um, and that's the, like you know that it's just totally it's just a totally ridiculous decision to keep playing but ultimately um, yeah ultimately you kind of wonder the, the number of guys that would voluntarily step down um, the number of guys that would voluntarily step down if um, you know they weren't comfortable financially or that kind of thing it it, it, um, it becomes messy in that sense as well so sorry that's a kind of long-winded way of answering your question I don't think I don't think the club owners should have an input in it I think it should the, the decision-making circle shouldn't go beyond the medical staff. Don't listen. Thanks for um, thanks for taking the time. Um, just really appreciated your insights, uh, particularly when you were still playing up to up to very recently. So thanks again for your time and and, and best of luck with with your future, man. Okay. Thanks very much, Ed. Pleasure to chat.